0: For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Vern Harnish. Now, Vern is the founder of the world-renowned EO organization or entrepreneurs organization with over 11,000 members worldwide, and he's also the founder and CEO of Gazelles, a global executive education and coaching company with over 180 partners on six continents. Now, he's written three books, including Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, The Greatest Business Decisions of All Time, and his most book is called Scaling Up. Uh, I've got it right here, and I've actually read all three of the books, and they're all great. Uh, he's also a private investor in many scale-ups. He resides in Barcelona, Spain, with his wife and four children. Uh, loves playing piano, tennis, and is, and even magic as a card-carrying member of the International Brotherhood of Musicians. I am so excited about this interview today. A quick story before we kick off. And this is this is kind of funny. So, you know, obviously, he came and spoke in San Diego at the at the EO chapter here. And my buddy, he went to he went with me and we had a good time. You know, we're both in, the, in EO and we were driving home and we were just like, Man, that rocked my world. And and he looked over and he turned to me and he said, You know, I, I'm pretty sure that was the best presentation that I've ever seen in my life. And I looked at him and I was like, Austin, that's crazy. Like that's that's a really bold statement. And I'm just gonna call BS. And he said, better. And I thought for a couple of minutes, and I couldn't come up with it, and, and then we concluded that it was, uh, that one in our lives, uh, the best presentation that we've seen. So hopefully, at the bar, high, but I'm really excited
1: to dive in here. Welcome. Well, glad to be here. Though, it seems like we're having a little bit of a connection problem. Can you hear me fine? Yep, I can hear you fine. It's all good on my end. Yeah, good, good. I'm Sweet. just getting a little bit of fuzziness back on your end. Cool. I'm glad to be here. Always happy to talk about self-publishing.
0: Well, hey, let's take us back. You know, obviously, you've got three books under your belt. Uh, and But the first one was written, I think, back in 2002. That's when it was released. So take us back to that time. Why did you decide to write your first book? And, and what was the purpose behind it?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I wish I'd written it 10 years before. You know, it's absolutely the best marketing tool any human being can have. You know, we encourage CEOs of companies to write a book. It's the best marketing tool you've got for customers, potential employees, and all of that. So I wish I'd done it in 92 instead of 2002, but I had launched this executive program at MIT for EO and had run the program and really through that had developed this curriculum around what does it take to scale up a company. And we ended up then branding it around the Rockefeller Habits, John D. Rockefeller's kind of habits. And it really started out as a series of articles. Uh, back there in the the go-go days of, of the internet, uh, a dear friend of mine had got me a contract with, can't remember the name, it was had this strange name like Brain Something, but it was this internet startup that was going to try to capture all the knowledge on the planet. And they paid this unbelievable amount of money like $3,000 per article. And I got a contract to do like eight articles. So it was like 24 grand. And I paid a uh, ghostwriter, Ellen Wojohn, who had written an article about me in Inc. Magazine a decade before I'd stayed in touch with her. In fact, I always recommend that's where you find these writers to help you if you're not really particularly into writing. Is you know, find someone who's written a story about you and you think did a pretty good job. And so that was Ellen at Inc. Magazine. And so she we paid her to write these articles. Um, They published them, but it was crazy. You got the rights back 12 months later. And so it was really waiting till those rights uh, had reverted back to me. We took eight of those articles plus an article I wrote for Fortune Magazine. And I added one then that a friend wrote for me, uh, Rich Russikoff. And we crunched them all together, and that became – after writing all the transitions, the, the first Mastery in the Rockefeller Habits. And by the way, it's it's uh, got in print over a quarter million books. Wow. And what, what made you decide to brand it as Rockefeller Habits? Well, I was, uh, in fact, visiting a dear friend of mine, John Anderson, who I'll see here in a couple of weeks. John was our very first coaching partner for Gazelles in Detroit. And his when, when I was visiting, his wife had just finished this amazing biography on John D. Rockefeller called Titan. And she said, you've got to read this book. And so I did. And as I was reading through it, I recognized that this young guy had put in place, naturally, many of the kind of habits that we had discovered were critical to scaling up any kind of business. And I thought, look, here's the wealthiest guy on the planet uh, by a factor of three over Gates or anyone else. And so I thought, what a great branding opportunity. And at and some sense, I always kind of thought or hoped the Rockefellers might sue me so I would get some press. You know, as they say, any press is good press. Yeah. But uh, we sent one off to Nelson Rockefeller and a buddy of mine sold his company to the Rockefellers and shared the books. And I think the fact that, you know, we talk positively about John uh, when a lot of folks have had quite bad press about him. Uh, I think, I think was uh, important to the family and I got to meet Mark Rockefeller years later, uh, the exact direct descended fourth generation from John D senior. And uh, so, you know, all was good, uh, but I did promise Mark that I would start to drift away from then that Rockefeller name. And that's why we've got scaling up here today, but that's a little bit of the history and where the name came from.
0: Got it. Now, you said 250,000 copies. What did you do to launch the book and to market the book up front? And, and how do you feel like it, 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 it was able to take off as well as it has?
1: Yeah. Well, I was lucky. I had a, a friend, Agent Bill Gladstone. You know, Bill's been the agent to like over 10,000 of the most popular tech books. In fact, he helped self-publish the most successful self-published book in history, the one about the cures uh, book. And... Bill then hooked me up with a friend of his, uh, Kenji Sugahara, who launched Select Books. And I was his very first book that he really structured as a self-publishing deal for me. Because, look, I didn't know how to get an ISBN number or find a printer or get it up on Amazon or any of that kind of stuff. And so Kenji was kind enough to get that done. And I think first I had a good following in EO. I think it's good to have your own network. And then I wrote a book, and I figured this out a little bit later on, I wrote a book that more than only the CEO or more than only one person in the company needed to read. It was a kind of a book where if the CEO or leader liked it, they said it made sense for me to buy copies and for everybody else inside the company because I need them to learn what it is that we're trying to do. And so I thought, ah, in fact, we've got a new book coming out here shortly and we specifically wrote it as a book for frontline employees to read so that we can sell, you know, you make one sale and you end up making a hundred sales. And I think that was really the key to it being able to scale up um, to 250,000 copies. And then word of mouth did the job. I, I think if you write a good book, it's, you know, the network effect's going to help you out. If if you don't, and I got to tell you, my job's to read uh, good many of the business books each year, and there's a lot of really crappy books. Now, that being said, you know, on the other side, when you're using it just as a business card, as long as I think you got a great looking cover, and I think that's where I see a lot of folks mess up, is they end up looking like, it's self-published kind of cover. I think you need a great title. I think "Mastering Rockefeller Habits" ended up being a great title for us. Uh, it was a good-looking cover. I like scaling up a lot better as a as a cover. Um, I think that's enough. Um, you know, you pass it out, and folks aren't going to throw it away like a business card, and they're going to sit it there on their shelf, and it's a it's a good tool.
0: Yeah, and so you you obviously decided to do. The uh, you decided to, you know, you did a book in between, but then you decided to do the updated version, the 2.0, if you will, of Mastering the Rockefeller Habits and Scaling Up. Now, what made you decide to release that second version?
1: Uh, it was time, you know, first one was 12 years old. We had learned a lot of stuff after applying the tools, we created a whole bunch more tools, new frameworks, and so it was time to kind of take that new IP. And get it bundled properly uh, and get it out there to the marketplace. But it was interesting, this book, I really stole an idea from Alex Osterwalder. And I thought, I really want to crowd, kind of crowdsource this second book. And so I wrote it and it was interesting. I designed the cover so it looked like the first Master and the Rockefeller Habits. It was all black and white. And it was the same size and all that. And I put it out. I did 500 galley copies. Put it out to my friends and colleagues and clients and coaches. And Chandler is painful. I gave them a month to come back and tell me. I'm hoping they're going to find typos and technical mistakes. <laughs> they basically came back and said, "I'm sorry, Vern, You know, you may be the growth guy, but your baby is both ugly and stupid." And it was like really a like a nail through my heart. But they were right, and we went back, we totally redesigned it, we reshaped it, sized it, all four color all the way through, redesigned radically the cover, and uh, they were right. We rewrote all 70,000 words based on the feedback, and it's won eight international awards since, and and it's already passed 150,000 copies, so uh, it's out just over a year. So we're real happy with the power of getting the crowd involved in really giving feedback, editing it, and that kind of stuff than the lone entrepreneur trying to do it themselves. Yeah.
0: You just touched on this, but having read them sequentially, you know, I read, it was, I, I picked up asking Rockefeller habits. Cause I didn't know the new one was out. And so I like sought it out, you know, I'm searching on the internet. I found it and I'm like, yes, I got this copy. And then I read it and then I'm talking with a friend and they're like, dude, he just released the update, like the updated version. You need to read that. So it was interesting moving into the next book into scaling up. And it's, I feel like mastering the Rockefeller habits. It's a, it's more of a traditional style book, right? Yeah. It, it, it flows and all that stuff. But then when you get into scaling up, like it's a textbook on steroids and like an instruction manual on how to run a company. So, I'm curious what that process was like from going from that to everything was so defined, refined. You've got the worksheets, you've got everything. Like, what was that process like?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I think, though, and I'm in the process of writing it, scaling up, as you said, has really ended up being kind of the technical manual. And it's screaming for there to be a smaller version that's more like Mastering the Rockefeller Habits that kind of provides a good overview and the like. And then you can kind of turn to this textbook workbook. And so um, uh, I think we Mastering the Rockefeller Habits was a good, like I said, traditional style book. Uh, This other one went way far the other direction. And we're going to come back now. We're actually in the middle of writing uh, five books. Uh, we're going deep in each of the people, strategy, execution, and cash. I thought we were reviewing a big part of the people, new people book this week. Uh, and then we're going to do this overview book. So we're really putting together a system uh, as opposed to a, you know, a single book.
0: That's great. I, I can't wait for those to come out personally. And I know uh, it's funny, you mentioned that, that your job is to distill a lot of books. Well, I remember uh, being at the talk in San Diego and I had ordered seven books off of Amazon by the time your talk was over. Cause it was like, if you like this, for more about that, read this book. If you like
1: That's this. <laughs> yeah, funny. we referenced 40 books in scaling up. You know, our view is it takes a village of gurus, really, honestly. Nobody has all the answers and anybody who says they do, whether they're a doctor in the medical field or a thought leader in the business world, you know, they're, they're blowing smoke. Uh, it, it, you've got to kind of triangulate into the answers from a lot of different sources.
0: Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right. So if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. You said you're working on five books right now. What do you have a... Tell us a little bit more about what's your writing process and your routine look like.
1: Um, well, I write every Thursday, uh, and I really relish it. It's a chance for me to kind of, you know, I've gotten really all the business stuff done by Wednesday, Thursday, then I can kind of relax and I do research and writing, and then I've got a lot of writing partners. So each of the the four books that are a deep dive in people, strategy, execution, and cash, I've got a co-author with. So Sebastian Ross. A good dear friend of mine here locally on the People Book, and so we're spending a good part of Thursday uh, digging into the first section of that four-section book, uh, and so it's a very collaborative process uh, that I enjoy. So I've got co-authors uh, on all the books, with makes it fun, and then I've got a, a ghostwriter that helps me out on our fortune columns and research and that kind of stuff that's necessary, but. I did, at the end of the day, write every one of the 70,000 words uh, in Scaling Up. I find out – I f- I figured out at the end I've got to be the one who gets kind of the final words down. And then obviously we get some some good edi- editing and copywriting as a have you,
0: have you found that to be the case with all the books? It's like you have a ghostwriter to help distill the ideas and you almost go back through and do a rewrite yourself.
1: Well, mastering the Rockefeller habits, um, Ellen, in writing the first couple of articles, it was tough. She really hadn't been able to capture my voice. But by about the third article, she could she could interview me. They were always all my ideas, but she could interview me and pretty well capture my voice. And I got to say, I didn't have much of a voice back then, so it wasn't hard, you know, to capture. Now I think I've got a style and a and an approach. And, um, and so I needed to write that in, in scaling up, obviously my second book, that was a compilation of us going to various writers at fortune magazine and just having them write up each one of those 18 decisions. And so that was more of an editing function and, uh, and a direction function. What do you feel like it took for you to find your voice
0: over the years?
1: You know, it's the 10,000 hours that uh, Gladwell talks about. You're just out there giving, you know, 200 presentations a year kind of thing. And, you know, after you do that for two, three decades, it's my 34th year of teaching, you know, you probably ought to by now have it have it figured out.
0: <laughs> now, you say you write on Thursdays. Okay. Is
1: I know that- I was kidding with my children tonight. Uh, I was reminded of some of the original, you know, you went and spoke to everyone you could, the local Rotary Club, the local, whoever would let you stand up mm-hmm. and speak, paying attention or not. You know, you took the opportunity.
0: So you, you definitely got your 10,000 hours, maybe just exclusively in Rotary Clubs early exactly. on. <laughs> sure. Okay, you know, you mentioned riding just on Thursdays. Is that a full day of writing? Is that the only day that you write? Is that every week of the year? Like, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, it's pretty much, well, that's the day I write my weekly insights. And Hmm. it's in the process of writing the weekly insights. And I'm researching, reading books. I'm recommending books. Um, And so it allows me to kind of concentrate my efforts in terms of learning, reading, and distilling it then into my own thoughts. And then once you've got all of that, now, when you actually get down and sit down and write the book, um, you know I just say goodbye to my family, and it's uh, you go into monk mode, as Jim Collins describes it, and it's six to eight hours a day for you know two to three months. But because done all this other writing, then the words tend to flow. It's already there. You've already had to distill it. You've already done a lot of the research. You can pull it together. So a lot of it's really just trying to get the flow correct.
0: So how do you balance that, like having a big writing project or a deadline coming up with running your business? Because obviously if you're going six to eight hours a
1: day for two to three months, like how do you balance the two? Well, but I... You know, I really wanted to pivot in the company to where I just enjoy writing and speaking. I don't really enjoy any of the things else that's required to run our company. So I've got six CEOs that run the various companies like our coaching division, our online education division, the technology side, the investment banking side, that kind of thing. So that I am pretty well freed up to to do these kind of things, mainly marketing interviews like this keynote speeches and then do the writing. But when it comes to the crunch time in every case, and that's why it's a little tough on the family, it's been during the summertime because that's our slowest time for our business. And that's when it makes the most sense. And that also usually leads then to a typical fall release for us. which mm. Finds the best time to release a book into our space. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Now do you, do you have a morning routine I do. Um, it's, uh, in fact, I have to report it out to my my coach. It's a very short um, meditation. I uh, learned it at the Art of Living Ashram in Bangalore by Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. It's kind of a breathing meditation uh, process. Then uh, I alternate between kind of doing planks, push-ups, and this little four-minute Tabata exercise routine. And then you know, that's it. That kind of gets me up uh, and running. And then I try to work on whatever's the may I've got a big um, kind of uh, proposal that we've got to put together a deck for a multi-million-dollar opportunity we're going after. And so that's slated for tomorrow morning. And what's nice about being in Barcelona is I'm six hours away from the U.S. Six to nine hours no emails really come in until about three o'clock in the afternoon. So I've got a lot of quiet space mm-hmm. uh, to work on major projects like that. That makes, that makes sense. sense now. Now.
0: Do you have a, uh, uh, does your routine vary from, when, from you're when you're in writing, writing, mode versus writing versus when you're in business, business
1: mode? mode? Um, well, of course, when I'm in the writing mode, that kind of, six o'clock in the morning till, or six, seven in the morning till two, three in the afternoon, which is when I'd be working on major initiatives for the company, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I I really crank hard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on the company. Thursdays, then this kind of reading, relaxing, and Friday, I dedicate to my charities. Um, So I pretty well stick to that routine. The only thing is I just replace those big chunks of times I'd be working on projects for the company, with writing because i consider the book and we considered the scanning up book the most significant project i needed to get done for the company at that time
0: got it now let's talk a little bit um about how these books have fed into the business. I'd love to get into that. So obviously EO started back in 1987 and it looks like uh, Mastering Rockefeller Habits came out in 2002. How, how has that book, and I guess even then moving into scaling up, like how has that impacted what you're doing with EO, um, with Gazelles and with your other businesses?
1: Well, obviously our, our big target market's YPO, more than even EO. And um, again, a book is, is your calling card. It's like your pitch deck. And, you know, nobody wants to be sold, particularly entrepreneurs. You know, they want to be educated. Uh, And that's how you that's how you market in the 21st century. Anyway, Is you educate, you don't sell. And so it's our first foray. You know, somebody in a forum member says, hey, I've been using these tools. I've had great success. The other forum members say, hey, I want to read the book. And then that leads to speaking gigs and then a lot of those companies belong to trade associations and they're like, Hey, if I bring one of my guys in to speak at the trade association meeting, then I get to introduce them. And we know Vern's going to do a great job. So it makes us look good in the ind- industry And so you just kind of network your way through because of EO and YPO and Vistage in, into various industries. And so I end up keynoting a lot of industry uh, meetings because Our clients are the past, present, or future president of the the trade association.
0: Hmm. Now, did you did you see a big like with the growth trajectory of EO and with what with YPO? Like, did you see any change after you released Mastering the Rockefeller Habits in two thousand two? Like, did you see any correlation between that that book selling and the business growing? Like, what did that look like?
1: No, well, remember EO is not my business. I I launched it in '87, but I was done in '90. I mm-hmm. ran the program then from '91 to '90 to 2006. Yeah, but I launched Gazelles in '97. So it absolutely, the book absolutely has propelled, and the books have propelled Gazelles into 182 coaching partners on six continents and that kind of stuff. But we had nothing to do with EO's growth. You know, EO was going to grow, you know, with or without me and, and its books. Mm-hmm.
0: And what, what do you, what about the Gazelle side of things? Like, do you, like, what, what does that process look like from when someone picks up the book to when they, they move into Gazelle's coaching? And like, how, how have you seen the book, not only the first one, but then also the
1: second one? Like, how have you seen that directly impact business? Well, by the way, I don't know if we got to down to the details, but that's why I think it's so critical for people to self-publish. Because, you know, under self-publishing, that book of mine that's four-color, 256 pages, um, only cost me a little over $2. and But now that's a 50,000 copies. But it's not much more if you only had 5,000 copies. You know, it's maybe $4. Mm -hmm. And you can afford to give them away. I find that I've got to give away about 10% to drive the other 90%. And you bundle them with your speeches and they're a a nice trade-off. So I'll say, here's my speaking fee and it includes 400 copies of the book. And if somebody thinks my fee's too high, then I can discount back on the retail value of 400 books. On the flip side, if I include it in my speaker fee... 400 books at two boxes is only $800. It's, it's not much, but it's perceived as a really nice uh, gift. And now that you've got the book in everyone's hand, because we've got a book that a lot of people want to buy lots of, you know, we buy, we sell boxes of book, books every week directly. Um, that's how it gets multiplier effects. So typically I speak, everyone's got a copy of the book, they go back. They say, wow, I like this. They go buy a box of books in the middle of that process. They say, hey, maybe I ought to get some help. So they get a hold of one of our coaches. And then before long, it's a multi-year uh, coaching engagement.
0: Got it. So what's you say? I like that 10 percent versus 90 percent rule of the 10 percent is is most of that 10 percent in speeches. Or are there other ways that you also give the book away?
1: Yeah, we'll like um, we'll do donations. There was an auction that was raised a bunch of money. It had the right uh, audience, and so in the gift bag, we donated two hundred books to that particular auction because again, it had our target market there available. A lot of the YPO events that I do, um, like I'm getting ready to speak at a family university for YPO Southern Seven, I'll have a bunch of the books there that we'll either sell or give away. Um, but you're right. A lot of the giveaway will be well, like GLC. Uh, EO had its big global leadership conference, and that's got I don't know how many we donated. I think 2,500 books. Uh, so we got a hand uh, that book in the hand of every leader within every EO chapter. And yeah, it it looks like on paper that many books would cost me. You know, twenty five thousand dollars, but it cost me five thousand plus shipping, and that's a minor cost. But those four thousand that we gave away, I know, has helped really drive a lot of the one hundred and fifty thousand books that we have sold. Hmm. Um, so.
0: And it's like you're sending out little mini salesmen <laughs> for is. your company. I'm telling you, this is this is your your pitch deck. So what you, you you've got the speaking. Um, you've got gazelles. What are other things that get? What are other ways that you drive into back end like business for yourself and for your companies off of the back end of these books? Well, you know,
1: first we've got our our workshops to come off the book. So we're running 80 of those in the United States and and others around the world. We've got these more two and a half day intensives. I'm running one in Munich next week. We run those all over the world. Just had one in Madrid a few weeks ago. Um, and so those are, you know, highly paid uh, events. So you've got the, the workshops that come off the book. Then you've got the coaching, and those are 30 to $100,000 contracts uh, that are obviously based on the tools that we have in the book. Then we have our whole online education division of which scaling up is one of the major courses, but we've now expanded to the other gurus that we feature in the book, like Salim Ishmael's exponential organization, Jack Stacks, Great Game of Business, Brad Smart's Top Grading. So those 40 books that I mentioned in my book, we've got workshops or online tools that represent all of those. So that's a whole nother uh, uh, division. But the one that's actually um, one of the most profitable is that we're then cherry picking out of our 2,000 clients that we have at any one time, those that we're directly investing in. So I'm an investor in Build Direct, you know, as a result of their activity with us. And that company's been doubling every year. I think it's on its way to a half a billion this year. Um, I'm a major investor in, in a company called Barcelona Housing Systems that uh, just partnered with the Chinese. And we got our first 2.6 billion. We're building literally cities. One's going up right now in Copio, Chile. So the, the money that we'll earn off of the investments that we're making into the companies that we're helping to scale up that's multiple x times the coaching fees and the workshop fees and the speaker fees and that kind of stuff so that's been our our real way to to monetize
0: wow that's great and that's a great vetting process because they're clients and that yeah. so someone could easily go all the way from hey i just got this book scaling up all the way through the process and then end up having you invest in their company
1: yeah, with Rackspace, everybody knows that, you know, helped make uh, Graham uh, Weston, one of the young billionaires in Austin. You know, we got friends and family stock at three dollars before they went public and cashed out at 60, you know. And so to get 20 X on your on your investment, uh, those are good returns. in you know, just, you know, 18 to 24 months.
0: Now, what's one or two surprising benefits or ways that you've made money off the back end of your books that when you wrote them, you didn't really expect, but then it just happened?
1: Well, it's this one. I, I hadn't even thought to do this, but I was, we, had hosted, we were hosting Jim Collins at our Fortune Summit, and Jim's latest book, Great by Choice, to me is absolutely the best book of all he's written. Though it doesn't, it's not doing as well ranking-wise on Amazon. I've actually almost felt like I want to be this one-man marketing machine for Jim's book because I think it's so outstanding. And in there, he's got a chapter on return on luck, and he's talking about how it's the people who really take advantage of the luck that they've got that do well. And I'm, and he said, so take fifteen minutes and talk at your table about where you either didn't take advantage of luck that you had or whatever. And I'm sitting there lamenting where I literally had the chance decades ago to put money into Dell early on, Apple early on, and many of the other companies. It's the kind of thing where if I put just a thousand dollars in when I could have, it would have made me tens of millions of dollars and I wouldn't be doing this, you know, right. (laughs) And so I'm like crying and then I'm like, wait a second, but who's next? you know, Dell, Microsoft, Apple. And I'm literally sitting in the middle of our summit. And I'm like, it's Jeff Booth over at Bill Direct. That guy has got the same mojo. And I literally got right up in the middle of the session, ran over there, got on my hands and knees and said, Jeff, you have to let me invest in your company. And he goes, it's funny you're asking. We just are in the middle of closing our latest round I'm happy to let you in. And that's kind of how that was my first major investment. And I said, all right, I'm going to start looking more. So that was a very alternative back end way to really monetize the book because the book was the what gave us brand and and had Bill direct as a client.
0: Got it. Now, the the trajectory for book sales on the back end of scaling up, was that a big spike then kind of tailed off? Have you seen it stay consistent? Is it growing? What does that look like?
1: Um, You know, we we drive a big spike at the very beginning um, through pre-sales. But no, the thing is, it's been this very consistent, uh, you know, we've been the number one or number two ranked strategy and competition book on Amazon since the beginning and it's been almost 18 months now uh it just consistently sells a chunk of books we have we have spikes around the planning seasons so kind of Mm -hmm. November through February and I see that on my commission checks and we we have other kind of a planning spike here in the summertime but it's it's steady and growing it's steady and growing which is what's been nice that's great and Uh, Rockefeller Habits was absolutely an ex, uh, exponential curve. You know, 10,000 books year one. I just checked my numbers from Kenji. We were at 22,000 books by 2004. And then, you know, over the next 10 years, I went from 22,000 to a quarter million. Wow.
0: That's fantastic. You know, it's funny. So I live in an entrepreneur house all of us run online businesses in the house. There's five of us. And the running joke is here, if, if scaling up was not within arm's reach, that there's like a problem, <laughs> you know, and that's, I can see how that really drives sales for you, because not only are we buying multiple copies for ourselves, we're buying them for our employees, we're buying them for our team, like all those things.
1: You got it. And I think one of the things that's important, I, I think what's worked well is we've made all of our stuff open source. So we've, you don't even have to buy the book. You can go to scalingup.com, and we've got a free chapter on how to do strategic planning, which is one of the things we're best known for. And you don't even have to spend a penny. All of our tools are open source. Those are given away in multiple languages. And I do think there's something about you've got to have a mentality that you're willing to give away in order to get. This whole Adam Grant give and take, I think, is real. And, and again, self-publishing really makes it a lot easier for you to give, because if you go with a traditional publisher, you know, their main customer is you, you know, writers don't realize that, but the traditional publishers, they just calculate how many books they think you and your activities are going to sell. They multiply times how much money they're going to make, and then they give you a percentage of that, and then they make you buy your own book for a lot of money. And it's very frustrating. Plus, I find I'm able to, I update my book every edition. Um, and so I'm making minor changes every printing. And it helps me keep it current.
0: You're you're preaching to the choir on all that stuff. What, what would you say, what would it be a piece of advice that you'd give to someone who's running a business? And like you said, they need that business card. They need that book that's going to drive sales for them that's going to help them grow their business but maybe they just can't find the time. They, they they aren't able to make the time to get that book. What would it be your advice to them to be able to get it done and take it to the finish line?
1: Yeah, you know, it's going to sound like a commercial, but just call my friend Adam Whitty at Advantage Media and just say, speak a book. You know, that's what Jack Daly did. You know, Jack's been, the sales guru has been speaking all over the world for decades. And we're all like, Jack, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. I don't have time, da, 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 da. And he just went and did the speak a book thing. And he had a book, Hyper Sales Growth, and it's doing unbelievably well. Um, What you do is get a ghostwriter. You know, most people in their companies can't put two words together. And so hire a writer. And then the structure of your book, take your core values plus your three brand problems. So your four or five core values. And your three brand promises, and your big, hairy, audacious goal, and your purpose, and there you've got ten to twelve chapters, and just write stories about where you've lived these values, these promises, these purpose, with your customers, your employees, and your life. And so, just tell some stories. You know, make each chapter ten or twelve pages. You've got twelve chapters. I think a 144-page book is perfect. I think thinner is better than thicker. Um, and you're done. And you've got, if nothing else, a great retu- recruiting tool for employees. Hey, you think you want to work here? Read this. And if you still think you want to work here, great. Uh, so that's what we encourage uh, entrepreneurs to do, keep it structured very simply like that. Hire a local ghostwriter from your local biz journal, and uh just get it done.
0: What's been the most rewarding part of writing and publishing your books?
1: Um, the multiplier effect. Um, you know, the fact that you're out there basically speaking 24-7, because it's there, someone at any one time is sitting someplace listening or reading, and you're out you're able to help really help people uh, all the time on the flip side, you're making money while you sleep. Uh, and so you like those royalties coming back. And as you know, when you self publish, instead of getting a dollar from Amazon, you know, I'm getting $10 from Amazon and that makes a big difference. What would be your final parting piece of
0: inspiration tip, anything like that for someone thinking about writing and launching their first book?
1: Yeah. Just do it sooner than later. Like it's how I opened. I wish I had done it. Um, Chandler, 10 years prior to when I did, but, you know, he just never can seem to find the time, but I don't think there's a more important thing. You know, Michael Dell wrote his book, Bill Gates wrote his book, all the folks know that getting that book out in your voice, representing your ideas is critical in this, particularly this 21st century.
0: Vern, well, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's nighttime in Spain right now. Thanks for taking out the time uh, and and just rocking with this interview. One final thing, where can people go to find out more about you, uh, about your books?
1: Uh, Just go to scalingup.com and the name of the book, and they'll find – they'll hopefully sign up for my weekly insights. They're free on Thursdays where I'm writing about this kind of stuff. And all the tools and articles and this free chapter – and this free one-page personal plan is all up there. It's all up there, no, no charge. Perfect. Vernon, thank you so much. You got it, Chandler. Thanks for the opportunity.